We have enormous news this morning in the HB6 bribery scandal. It will be the first thing we discuss on This Week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn, and I'm here with Chris Warnowski, Jane Cahoon, and Laura Johnston. And we're going to get straight to it because this is hot. What is the big development in the HB6 scandal that is going to happen today that spells doom probably for other people that might be charged in this case? Chris Warnowski, going straight to you. Uh, Jeff Jeffrey Longstreth and uh, Juan Sapitas have uh, agreed to plead guilty to corruption-related charges in the HB6 scandal. For people who aren't aware of this, uh, this is the the same case that involves Ohio Speaker Larry Householder, GOP bigwig Matt Borges, and and others, and maybe even more people now that there are uh, some guilty pleas in this. We just got word of this this morning, and they could make court appearances as early as today, which is Thursday. And yeah, we'll get more information on this here in probably a couple of hours, uh, hopefully sooner than that. But go ahead. Okay. So this is a $60 million bribery scheme that federal prosecutors allege that First Energy's $60 million was used to bribe all sorts of people to get a $1.3 billion bailout out mm-hmm. of the pockets of taxpayers, ratepayers in Ohio, mm-hmm. into the hands of the people running the nuclear plants. It was First Energy. Now it's the spinoff because they wanted to duck this. It also created a huge profit scheme for First Energy by decoupling in a decoupling maneuver that guarantees them very high electric rates. To have two people pleading guilty in this, this involved, as you said, Larry Householder and Matt Borges, but also involved some lobbyists and other high-profile people in Columbus. The fact that two of them are pleading guilty has got to just sink the others charged in this because now there are cooperating witnesses that will provide everything they know to investigators. And you got to think that there's some people at First Energy that might be a little bit worried today, too. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, usually, you know, again, we haven't seen the plea agreement. So I'm just going based on my experience in covering these things in the past is that this usually means that they're they're going to cooperate with the prosecutors and testify against the other people. I mean, this is why you charge five people. With you know, it increases the odds that one of them will cooperate with you, and in this case, it looks like two of them will be cooperating. You know, Can we've I watched, add something here. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Jane. Go ahead. Jeff Longstreth, one of the ones who is going to plead guilty, was Larry Householder's right hand man, so he he knows everything. Let's just put it that way. He's he's a really <laughs> key player in this. The the thing about federal investigations, we've all seen this time and time again, is that it's relentless. They mm-hmm. don't charge you unless they've got you, usually. And and for you see it over and over again. People that just buck and kick, I'll fight this, I'll fight this, I'll fight this. And the feds just wear them down. Our biggest experience was with all the 60-plus people that went down in the Cuyahoga County corruption investigation. Jimmy DeMora bucked and kicked all the way to the end. But almost all those other guys realized they got me. They got me dead to rights. And if I take this to trial, it'll be far worse for me. That's that's the power of the federal investigation. So when lawyers were brought into this thing and, you know, I, I think the household lawyer said, we're, we're not into plea deals. We're, we're, we go to trial. We fight, fight, fight. You're thinking, yeah, you're in federal court. That's not the way it generally ends up. The people that fight, fight, fight end up getting penalized much more harshly. So it's not surprising to see a couple of people pleading guilty. It's a, a little bit earlier than I think any of us thought might happen. But the, the relentless movement of the federal prosecutors will continue. 
Well, and what's, you know, what's strange, and I think worth pointing out that these guilty pleas come, you know, hours away from a general election where Larry Householder could maintain his seat in the House. So, you know, this is weird. You know, it, it's it's strange for a lot of reasons, but it's strange that Householder could keep ineffective, you know, keep his job uh, as of Tuesday. Well, they but they can impeach him after that. They didn't impeach him before because you can only do that once. And I, my bet is, is that if he gets elected, there'll be a move to, to oust him. It's amazing to me how hard he's running like he's legitimate. The, you, you mentioned the election. I, you know, I want to say it again. I've said it before. Every member of the Ohio House of Representatives, every seat is open. And all of these people that passed this corrupt bill who have steadfastly refused to get rid of it, despite popular will to do so, are on the ballot. And and voters ought to think about that when they cast their ballots on Tuesday, because these people are keeping this corrupt bill. And if these guys plead guilty, it's an acknowledgement. It's completely corrupt that these guys are all going to get reelected, the people who created this mess. I will be really interested to see what that plea agreement says. I'm sure it will provide more ammunition for repealing that bill. How much more ammunition? <laughs> I mean, well, you're right. You're right. They spent $60 but, million dollars to But innocent until proven people. guilty. Now we've got two people who are admitting they are guilty. Yeah, I know. It's look, this is a big moment in this case. And the fact that it's coming now, it makes it all that much more interesting. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What will a lot of Cuyahoga County school districts do today if the county goes purple on the state's coronavirus risk chart? As expected, Laura Johnston, this was the hottest story on our site yesterday by a long shot. Lots of people are paying attention to this. What's the upshot of it? The upshot is that there's a lot of districts that are going to go back to virtual learning if today we go purple and the state's color-coded coronavirus map. And we would be, us and anybody else, would be the first time that happens. So Berea, Fairview Park, Rocky River, Strongsville, and Warrensville Heights are among the school districts that are going to switch immediately starting Friday to remote if if we reach that. Orange schools are remote right now. They had planned to go hybrid on Monday. They will stay remote if we go purple. We actually haven't seen a lot of pushback from the parents on this. I think people realize this is a really dire situation and that the school districts are coping as best they can. The County Board of Health did make a recommendation that if we go purple, that we do virtual schooling, that there is no in-person extracurriculars, including sports. But they made the same recommendation in August when we were red and not everybody followed it then. And there are uh, still a few schools that are going to stay going in their hybrid or in-person plans, including Mayfield and Brexville Broadview Heights, I believe. Yeah, and I think I saw something about Beachwood last night. They're planning to stay in school. They're, that's a small district, and they can easily keep kids at a distance. But you wonder how long that goes. I, I know we've discussed it before, but you got to think that liability does play something into this. We did a story that says, no, they really don't have liability. You can't sue the school districts for staying open. But that doesn't mean people can't sue the school districts for staying open. And and if parents start to file those suits and if teachers unions start to file those suits saying you're endangering the lives of teachers, that's a public relations nightmare for school districts that have to play on the hearts of of people to get taxes passed so i it'll be interesting to see how long the beachwoods of the world try to stay open if in the if in the face of a tidal wave can, or can i add something quickly jane cahoon <laughs> 
today also happens to be the day when we get the coronavirus infection data from the schools. So just something to keep an eye out for. We'll we'll be Which, reporting that. So far, we haven't seen huge outbreaks in the schools. Right. I mean, I think it's going to be impossible to keep it out forever. But like the schools have shown they're not a source of the spreading. What I think is really interesting is a but, lot but of... Flat, says that, though. Yeah. But the numbers in the schools have gone up. up. Yes. Every week. The curve is not in favor of the schools. There, there right. are more and more staffers getting it. I mean, every week we get the numbers. They're higher than the week before, I think, every week. So, so are the numbers in Ohio. I mean, I know. I'm just saying, though, that, that we don't see a plateau there. So it no. keeps getting worse. And at some point you say, OK, it's spreading in the schools, right? I agree. I'm just saying it's not the source of the outbreak. It doesn't look like there's this hot spot that's causing Ohio's numbers to skyrocket. No, and that's true. I think they're a reflection of the community, basically. Yes. And, and DeWine has said that over and over right. again. Um, but nobody knows what's causing this. Right. That's the problem. Exactly. Is, you know, they put their stupid chart up the other day and it's just made up nonsense because they're not they don't have any data to back that up. They don't know why. And that's one of the most frustrating aspects of this. You've got a whole health department. You would think that finding out why the surge is happening these last four and five weeks would be paramount and they're not doing it. So what's well, really interesting is that Ohio defines purple as quote, severe exposure and spread and instructs residents to leave home only for supplies and services. So that is in line with closing schools, but it seems like if that's true, then we should be going back to where we were in March. Yeah, they're not. And it's a recommendation, not yeah, an instruction. It's not an order. You're seeing orders. I mean, in Germany and other places in Europe, yesterday there were orders issued to lock it all down, close the restaurants. Uh, Dewine and Houston, basically, their strategy is we're putting it on the locals. They started their phone calls yesterday to say, "Hey, guys, it's on you." And some of those locals are feeling like the states did when Donald Trump said, "Hey, states, it's on you." Kind of a complete you know, walking away from the responsibility. Consider the Mike DeWine from March, the bold guy making decisions, refusing to allow local rules because the virus knows no borders. Now, look at him today. No, no boldness, no orders. And hey, locals, you do all the work. I'm done. Chris Wernowski, you got anything to say? (laughs) (laughs) Look, man, I think I I think he knows who butters his bread. You know, I don't think he's going to do anything to to rattle that base that he doesn't want to rattle. You know, the base that wants him arrested. I, you know, I I don't think he's going to do much to to upset them before the the election. And I I, honestly, I mean, I you saw yesterday them come out with a big announcement that they're, they're, you know, that they're they're pumping all of this money into 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 businesses yeah we're gonna get to that so yeah yeah but we'll we'll talk about that later but it but it's it's there's a lot of decision making going on in that vein but very little very very little leadership in in the vein of you know what we're going to do with schools what we're going to do with businesses it's it's again it's the the shoulder shrug emoji and what are you going to do well and the locals were not were not happy at the end of the calls you're listening to this week in the cle we're going to stick with the coronavirus Is it a sign if I get a cold this winter that I am doing a bad job in protecting myself from the coronavirus? Lord Johnston, it kind of follows. If I'm wearing the mask, I'm staying away from people. I shouldn't get anything. The flu, common colds, nothing. So if I get a common cold, is that a warning sign that I better better be more careful? 
I love that you're asking me this because I had a cold last week. So I feel like this is like, Laura, what are you doing wrong? <laughs> no, 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 no <laughs> motives here. This is a really interesting question. And Pete Krause did a great job getting the story. He talked to doctors and yeah, like... If you are protecting yourself and keeping your distance and wearing your mask and sanitizing your surfaces and your hands, you should be protected from most viruses. And we've seen it in other countries. The flu cases have been weighed down because people have been wearing their masks and keeping distances. The one interesting thing that someone told him, a doctor, I believe, said is that airborne is is how we think COVID spreads through the air, through those droplets, while as the cold is primarily spread through surfaces. So there's slight differences, but what you're doing for COVID and that you're washing your hands and staying away from people should be protecting you from the cold. Well, the, the, the reason we did this is I was talking to somebody I know pretty well in their workplace. There's a bunch of people with colds and it's like, well, that doesn't sound like they're doing what they need to do then, because if you wear the mask, I mean, I'm I'm counting on no colds this winter because I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Uh, although his story did point out you can do everything right and still get sick, that that, that nothing that we do is 100 percent foolproof. So it's not like a, a guilt trip, but it, it is a warning sign if you get sick to look at what you're doing and possibly do better. Laura, you found that story yesterday where people are all lying about their habits. <laughs> <that> they're <laughs> all throwing caution to the wind, meeting with people. And then when they're asked about it, saying, oh, no, I'm staying home. I'm wearing a mask. Right. People were lying to their parents about like going on <laughs> dates. Um, there was a girl in college whose roommates had, and this was in the Washington Post, they had decided that they would tell anybody that they were seeing outside their bubble of their roommates and she had like a date with a guy and didn't tell her roommates and they knew because they were tracking her phone and it's like <laughs> we've gotten to the point where you have college kids tracking each other which see like college is the, like, the most free time you ever get and so it's a really bizarre world that we are living in right now can i can i Chris i mean okay so just to give an example, I, I went to I went to a doctor's appointment last week and they ask you, you know, do you have a sore throat? What is this? And it's like I'm here for like some ear and throat issues. I'm at an ENT. Uh, you know, my throat hurts already. Like, I like, how do you know it's the coronavirus? How do you know it's this? And it's that thing where you get asked these questions about how you feel and, and whether you've had these symptoms. But it's like these symptoms can be anything. And so it's hard to tell what what's just normal. And, you know, and I think people are probably not, you know, even if they have just like a little bit of a sore throat or if if they're they're feeling short of breath, I, I doubt most people are going to be like, well, let's cancel this appointment and go get a coronavirus test. I just I don't see that happening a lot. I think you're totally right because I had a root canal last Friday. It's been an awesome time in my house. <laughs> and the thing that they you, you have to sign when you come in is do you have a fever? Do you have any cough? Do you have any runny nose or anything? And you're thinking, I think I have a fever because I have an, like an infected tooth, right? Like, right, right? You could have a fever for a zillion things and you could have COVID. Any of us could have COVID and have no symptoms. So this idea that you're going to go in and fill out this chart and that could indicate whether or not you have COVID it really makes no sense. Well, but I think what this might illustrate is that we need better access to testing that that at this point, at this stage, you know, if if we do have a suspicion that we have like one or two symptoms, we should be able to go very quickly and get test results and have them within 18 to 20 hours. So but, you know, here we are. OK, you're listening to This Week in the CLE.
This podcast is completely out of control, so I'm going to keep the roller coaster going. <laughs> Ohio Governor Mike DeWine had a press conference Wednesday, six days before Election Day, to say he wants to give $5 billion to Ohio employers. Jane Coon, is this an altruistic program to help people in the pandemic or a very cheesy last minute election ploy to get some extra votes for his party? Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it was both. <laughs> uh, we talked yesterday and even, in fact, earlier in this podcast about how politics seems to be creeping into this issue so close to the election. And as we know, the governor is a big supporter of Donald Trump. So he's held a special briefing for this yesterday outside of his usual Tuesday, Thursday schedule to announce that these checks would be going out. And as you said, it's big. It's a big dividend payout from the Bureau of Workers' Comp for Ohio's quarter of a million employers, $5 billion. And he said this is going to keep businesses open and people working during the pandemic, which seems to be a big issue for him. He doesn't want to close down businesses. And this is sort of on the heels of last Friday when he also went out of his way to announce the distribution of money from the CARES Act which was approved by Congress, which and some of that money is also going to help out businesses. So, you know, he he did the whole briefing and everything, took questions. And I swear it was like moments after this press conference ended, the Ohio Republican Party sent out a statement praising DeWine and praising Trump. And it was titled Building Back Our Businesses, which which I thought was kind of funny because it looks strikingly similar to Joe Biden's campaign slogan, which is Building Back Better. But anyway, Chairman Jane Timken said, it's clear that President Trump and Governor DeWine's focus on helping our small businesses and economy recover from this disastrous pandemic. So, you know, even though obviously this is going to be helpful for businesses, they're welcoming it and their struggles are very real. The whole thing really had the feel of being orchestrated and timed for political reasons. This is total BS. If you don't want to be accused of politics, wait till next Wednesday. I mean, it'll be just as people will be just as receptive to it in five more days, six more days. I mean, I I, clear election year nonsense that that is intended to try and have people say, oh, well, you know, they're giving me money. I guess I should vote for him. Uh, I'm a little bit surprised Mike DeWine did that. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Why are a lot of people in Cuyahoga County not seeing the county library tax on their absentee ballots? Lord Johnson, this is basic public service. I think I've gotten this question more than any other election question I've gotten. It's people panicking because they think there's been fraud with the ballot because they don't have the questions they're expecting on the ballot and they're thinking somebody has messed with it. And that's just not the case. So what's the true story here? That is definitely not the case. If you don't see the Cuyahoga County Library question on your ballot and you live in Cuyahoga County, you probably don't live in one of the uh, 47 communities that the library serves. Cleveland has its own library district. So do Cleveland Heights, University Heights, Euclid, Lakewood, Rocky River, Westlake. There's a couple more. Residents in those communities don't pay into the system, though they may be able to borrow books from there through interlibrary agreements. So it's it's not fraud and you're not paying into it. So while we're talking about libraries, are they all going to close down if we go purple today? 
not all of them, but mine is, um, which I was to sort of see. So I totally went to the library yesterday and stocked up. It's going to go curbside if we go to purple. And the Cuyahoga County Public Library has put out a statement basically saying that they plan to stay open and keep their branches if people keep following the rules. If patrons are wearing their masks, they're sanitizing. And I believe Cleveland Public Library feels the same. There's a real responsibility that these libraries feel to be able to loan their books and let the people come in. So I think they're saying as long as we're not seeing that we're a hotspot for spreading, then people can access the libraries. You Right now, the libraries are quarantining the books that come in and, and the stuff from like 48 to 72 hours before they put them back on the shelves for people. Interesting. Okay. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Why does Cleveland City Councilman Bashir Jones want to get 1,000 women permits to carry concealed firearms? Chris Wernowski, we're having a gun problem in this city. What's the thinking here? Well, the thinking is is that a lot of the violence that we tend to see in the city is related to domestic violence. You know, you you continue to sort of see an increase, and and it's become kind of an increasing problem, especially during the lockdown. Uh, of domestic violence. So Councilman Bashir Jones uh, yesterday had a, an event where he sort of spoke about the idea of, of introducing more guns into the picture, uh, which is, which is a weird position to take, you know, to give women, you know, some training and, and sort of, uh, you know, remove the stigma of legitimate gun ownership in urban communities. Be- Let me stop you on that one though. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that fact stopped me up short when I, you know, I'd, I'd seen the flyer and I talked to Bob Higgs, our reporter about it. But when I read the story and I saw that there's a stigma against gun ownership in many Cleveland neighborhoods, I've never heard of that before. Is there, do we have anything that backs that up other than Bashir Jones saying it? Because, because there are a lot of people who would argue that Cleveland neighborhoods are filled with guns. Well, I think I think the issue is is one of there there have been efforts to suppress black gun ownership in this country. Like it like it has a long history basically dating back to the start of the Black Panther Party when surprise surprise the NRA took a very strong position against gun ownership and you know, it's the sort of I'm trying to think of the right word here. I, I, it, it, there's sort of this idea that all the guns that you see in a city are illegal guns. And, you know, in a state where we have very relaxed gun rules, there are efforts being made. And, and this is happening around the South, too. It's, you know, there are community leaders in black communities that are saying, you, you know, get yourself a legal gun. You have a right to have it. You should get it. You know, there, I mean, there is growing evidence that that white domestic terrorism is a problem and and so i think there is some concern on that end as well i you know he didn't really talk about that he's talking about this more from the position of of self defense and domestic violence but that has you know you are sort of seeing that happen around the country where these black leaders are encouraging people to you know get legally armed and and you know so so, you know, we can sort of normalize the idea of, of, of black citizens having guns because and it's, there's demand, right? I mean, he already has 800 people signed up for a, what a maximum of a thousand. Yeah, people want this. And, and it's it, it's one of those things where, you know, you're you're really trying to sort of reshape a stereotype, which is, you know, if you're black and you live in a city and you own a gun, you're obviously doing something wrong. I think this is this is sort of trying to to reprogram people's idea 
Now, I am of the opinion that I don't think we should normalize broad gun ownership. I think this is sort of like one of those escalation things where it's like, well, you buy a gun, so I buy a gun. You buy a bigger gun, so I buy a bigger, you know, I, that's how sort of gun ownership has gone in this country over the past couple of decades. And so it's, it remains to be seen as to whether arming more people is going to reduce crime. And I, I just, it, this seems weird. <laughs> Yeah, I, although he's clearly tapped into something that the neighborhood is feeling, and he's provided. I mean, what he has seven seven firearms instructors tied to it, so it's it, it's interesting. We'll have to see uh, what what becomes of it. But mm-hmm. they're gonna his, his goal is to get them trained, get them on the range, and uh, get them all their permits. You're listening to this week in the CLE. I didn't think we get to this one, but we will. Why might the communities along the Lake Erie shoreline in Ohio make a difference in Tuesday's presidential election? Jane Cahoon, this is not a story that is typical in presidential election years. We don't usually look at specific geographies this this distinct, but there is a reason to take a look at this area. Well, the reason is because I happen to have a couple of political nerds on my team, <laughs> Seth Richardson and Andrew Andrew Tobias. They they took a look at this. So in 2016, uh, President Trump flipped a bunch of Ohio counties that previously had voted for President Obama twice, and that shift helped get him into the White House with a decisive eight point win in Ohio. Four of those counties and. Um, you could almost throw a fifth in there, Lorraine County, where Trump almost won there. They border Lake Erie and a bunch of them also, you know, border the border, a county that borders Lake Erie. But in any event, Andrew and Seth took a look at, at a bunch of northeast northern Ohio counties as as well as other lakeshore counties that are either like reliably Democratic or reliably Republican. And they explained how. Joe Biden needs to get a certain level of support for a victory. Like even if he doesn't flip them back, if he keeps it close in some places and then he does really well in Democratic strongholds, he has a chance. So they laid out a lot of uh, detail in this. For example, like Cuyahoga County, which is heavily Democratic and, and obviously didn't go to Trump, but if Biden captures, he really needs to capture about 70% of the vote to have a a chance of victory. Obama carried like 69% of the vote and Sherrod Brown, Senator Sherrod Brown, when he was elected, took 71% of the vote in, in 2018. So even if Biden would dip to like around 65% in Cuyahoga, that could spell trouble. And then there are these other counties that have, you know, more trended Republican like Ottawa, Sandusky and Ashtabula, you know, that that went for Trump. But if Biden can keep it close there, like like Sherrod Brown did and like Obama did, then, you know, he's he's got a shot at this. Of course, a lot of people think really Trump has Ohio sewn up, but who knows? We'll have to see. I, the Baldwin Wallace University has done their four state polls and they put together a couple of op eds for us in the past week. And one of the things they said on there is Ohio has the highest percentage of black voters voting for Trump. It's still not high. But I was just surprised because you kind of taken on faith that in urban centers, they're not going to be voting for Trump. And and because of a lot of the things that have come out of his mouth that many interpret as racism, you wouldn't think there'd be support. But it wasn't. It was something Hopefully like those uh, bad robocalls aren't influencing well, the black community. Can, can I, Chris can, can I say something? I mean, this is I, I think this is something that the Democratic Party is kind of is going to have to seriously reckon with in the future is. 
is just assuming that black voters are going to vote for them. I think, I think there is, you know, a, a, a growing sense in, in, in some corners of black America where, you know, th- that they're starting to sort of understand that the democratic party has not made good on the promises that they have been given by Democrats who are largely put into office in, especially the federal level by, by a, a large chunk of the African-American votes. So I, you know, you're starting to sort of see people look at that critically and say, you know, well, what have you done for us really? And, and because our problems continue to persist. So there's a danger of, of them, you know, we, that's sort of how the Democrats lost the blue collar whites is by, you know, abandoning things like labor and embracing things like free trade and, and all of that. So, you know, there, there's a, I think a bill coming due for the democratic party. So they, good they, point. Yeah. Good point. Good as always. You're listening to this week in the CLE. I was hoping to leave a little bit of time at the end so we can conjecture on whether we're going to see this week is the plateau in coronavirus or whether we'll set a new record today and tomorrow. Any bets? Mm. I'm we sure betting. That one I was wrong. Right, but it was close. Yeah, I think we're going to set another record today or tomorrow. I don't think we've plateaued, and and we still have no idea why. But we will know at two o'clock today and at two o'clock tomorrow. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Jane. Thanks to everybody for listening to this week in the CLE. We'll be back tomorrow with even more information about the news that two people in the HB six scandal are pleading guilty. <laughs> <laughs>